Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Louise Makshari of Catch Up with Louise Makshari. I could not be more thrilled to be telling you about the return of The White Lotus. It's streaming now with a Now Entertainment membership. I loved everything about the first series of the show, from the cast to the music. And it is just the perfect blend of mystery, comedy and drama. In, in my opinion, the finale of the last series was nothing short of a masterpiece. And now in season two, they're bringing us to Italy. Jennifer Coolidge is back and thank God for that. And this time she's joined by a new cast of characters. If you missed season one, I can't encourage you enough to catch up. You won't regret it. It's streaming now with a Now Entertainment membership. And you can stream the new season of the Emmy Award winning The White Lotus weekly on Now. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's, or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. Okay, as I intimated in the last episode, I'm going to divert from our, and by our, I mean my, building of the all-time 75 list of NBA players. But unlike the league... I'm going to do it by selecting 15 players for each 15-season era. We both get to the same destination. My itinerary just makes sure we don't spend too much time in one place and that everybody gets equal time commandeering the entertainment system and making everybody listen to their playlist. All right, I probably took that analogy just a little too far. 
imagine myself at the car with my wife and kids and never mind. Uh, the league is not only not assuring that there's a balanced representation of players from its first 75 years, it's essentially saying that the 50 greatest all-time players it picked in 1996 as part of the 50th anniversary are now not necessarily so great. Why? Who knows? My selection process retained the 50 all-time greatest, added two oversights, Neil Johnston from the 1956 Philadelphia Warriors, I'm sure you're all happy about that, and the human highlight film, Dominique Wilkins, whose nickname reflects how much the world has changed. I'd like to say he might have been known as the human YouTube today, but A, it doesn't have the same ring, even if I say it correctly, and B, he would have to beat Zion Williamson to it. The first four eras have been completed, now leaving me with the final task of picking 14 players for the 2006-07 to 2021 era. LeBron is already in as the first of the 15. This is also by far the hardest task, since the first three eras were just a matter of distributing the names appropriately from the all-time 50 list and slipping in Johnston and Wilkins. And I slipped Johnston in because I needed a 15th member of the 1946 group, the first era, and there was simply nobody else from the all-time 50 that could fit. So, uh, that left seven all-time greats for the 91-92 to 05-06 era, and I added Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan as automatic, no need for discussion, pass, go, and collect $200, members of the all-time 75. That left six spots to fill in the era, era, and... It took an entire episode to do it. So, it's clear what I'm up against to complete the next era, which is why I'm pushing the task of recording that episode or the episode that deals with it until next week so that I have a couple of days to sift through the many candidates, ideally to get it as right as I have the first four eras and based on your responses which there has been none i'm going to take that you guys for the most part agree or have not seen anything heard anything egregious in what i've done i'm i would not expect that um i believe i've done a good job the league by the way does have concerns that in selecting a brand new 75 that the focus is going to potentially be on those among the first 50 that are no longer part of the 75 as opposed to celebrating those that are the league is probably right in being fearful of that happening which again is why they shouldn't do it but they are uh, now, there are obviously several locks for the last era, but there are also a host of players whose strong points for making it are so varied and subjective. Russell Westbrook's triple-double barrage, Dwight Howard's Defensive Player of the Year awards, plural, 
Manu Ginobili's or Tony Parker's championships. And I say or because I can't imagine both of them making it. Uh, as well as Pau Gasol's. I'm pretty certain not all of the names I just mentioned are going to make it. And I just scratched the surface. Now, I was tempted, instead of doing The Last Era, I was tempted to dive into the additions the Brooklyn Nets have made in recent days, specifically Paul Millsap and LaMarcus Aldridge, and what impact they might have, much as I did with Rajon Rondo joining the Lakers. But since I seem to be the only NBA regular still working right now, I'm going to save that for next week. Besides, I'm not at all worried that someone is going to provide you a more honest and insightful perspective between now and then on that subject. And if someone does, then I will stand corrected, and the NBA universe will be better for it. As I said, not all that concerned it's going to happen. But speaking of standing corrected, another one of my listeners, Brian DiMartino, pointed out an error, not era, error, on my part in the last episode. I said Dirk Nowitzki was the first foreign-born player to be the best player on a championship team. That's obviously wrong. Hakeem Olajuwon was the first, and Tim Duncan was the second. And I had a sneaking suspicion I might have been off when I said it, but I was rolling in recording the episode and forgot to go back and double-check if I had that right. Now, Dirk does have a distinction along those lines. He's the first foreign-born and foreign-developed player to be the best player on an NBA championship team. And that actually may be more impressive than Olajuwon or Duncan in that they had the time to acclimate by attending college in the States and obviously playing over here. In any case, thank you, Brian. My, I'm getting the feeling that my listeners now are like lifeguards working spring break. Uh, instead of Baywatch, we've got Bukewatch. And uh, I will effort to let you guys kick back for a few episodes and not have to rescue me from myself. I'm Louise Makshari of Catch Up with Louise Makshari. I could not be more thrilled to be telling you about the return of The White Lotus. It's streaming now with a Now Entertainment membership. I loved everything about the first series of the show, from the cast to the music. And it is just the perfect blend of mystery, comedy and drama. In, in my opinion, the finale of the last series was nothing short of a masterpiece. And now in season two, they're bringing us to Italy. Jennifer Coolidge is back and thank God for that. And this time she's joined by a new cast of characters. If you missed season one, I can't encourage you enough to catch up. You won't regret it. It's streaming now with a Now Entertainment membership. And you can stream the new season of the Emmy Award winning The White Lotus weekly on Now. So on to the subject of this episode. And I've been promising to answer LeBron James' question about why the NBA doesn't do a show like the NFL's Hard Knocks. I'm guessing if he asked, maybe some of you were asking too. Now, I'm going to try to not make this too much about LeBron, but there are some elements raised by him asking the question on social media that are impossible to ignore. For me, anyway especially after I got the answers. Now, I'd like to say I confirmed the answers, but the truth is 
I had to be reminded of at least some of them. My first thought when I saw LeBron ask that question on Twitter is that the NBA has long been so much better about pulling back the curtain and has a game that by its nature and setting allows us to see and hear so many candid events that are far beyond our reach with the NFL. Let's start with the structure of stadiums versus arenas. There's no way the average fan can hear a word that's said in the huddle or the trenches in a full stadium. Whereas a fan in a courtside seat at an NBA game might hear something whispered in a huddle or between players at the end of the bench. Hell, a player might whisper something to a fan. And if a fan can hear it, chances are one of the dozen microphones can pick it up as well. There's also a matter of helmets worn by men 30 or 40 yards away versus players without helmets or hats who could literally wind up in your lap and whose facial expressions and lips can easily be read. Then, of course, there's how the leagues operate when it comes to access. The difference is not as stark now as it was when I first started covering the NBA, but back then, the NBA was a distant third to both the NFL and Major League Baseball, and the media was a big way to advertise your, your league. By the way, why is it so hard to say MLB? You don't have to say National Football League or National Basketball Association for someone to understand what you're talking about unless you're Stephen A and like extending your airtime by using as many long words as possible. But no one says MLB, at least not as routinely as NFL or NBA or NHL. They say baseball or, as I did, Major League Baseball. If there are any linguist experts that listen to this podcast hit me up, let me know. I'm genuinely curious. Anyway, the NBA was starved for coverage in the 90s. Coverage and attention. And uh, uh, entertaining the media was one way to get it. NFL and baseball could be difficult and were when it came to getting access or just treating the media civilly because they didn't feel like they needed it. The NBA was like your grandmother, always happy to see you, slipping you little goodies without you even asking. When I first started covering the league, that was one of the appeals. The NBA invited coverage, wanted your stories above the fold. It's not quite as welcoming today, the hospitality diminishing in direct proportion with the amount of money that the league has made and financial independence created. But it was different not all that long ago. One of my early years as a Warriors beat writer, I was in New York for a Knicks-Warriors game and decided to see if I could swing by the NBA offices just to see what they looked like. I was given a tour of the place. And at one point, well, I met Heidi Uberoth, Uberoth, Peter Uberoth's daughter, who was working there. And I sat down in a conference room for an informal chat with the senior VP of NBA Entertainment, one Adam Silver, who infamously told me at the time, nobody watches our games and it doesn't matter. Of course, that was an exaggeration. His point being 
that the NBA was such a cultural force in music and clothes and other mainstream avenues that how the game was played and by whom was secondary. Actually, the reason that he said it, now that I recall, was I was asking about TV ratings. And he was making the point that the revenue streams and the ways in which the NBA connected with its fans was far beyond just who watched the games. So the ratings were always giving given an outsized importance. The ratings and the attendance in the building. But there was also the other element that how the game was played and by whom was a secondary concern. That was my inference from it, which naturally means catering to those people who follow the NBA because they love watching the game was also secondary, which anyone who has followed the league for a while probably has witnessed or felt. All that is what came to mind when LeBron wandered out loud to his 50 million followers on Twitter why the NBA doesn't have a hard knocks show like the NFL. Here's the second part of the answer. It has, or it did. Several, in fact. There was a show called The Association, which followed a particular team, not just for a couple weeks in the preseason, but for an entire season, and then provided a behind-the-scenes look at all that transpired over the course of it. Now, details on the exact history of the show are not readily available. Once it was mentioned to me, I did recall it. Uh, though someone should let LeBron know that episodes can be found on YouTube. I saw one reference that called it a critically acclaimed show, which tells us why it's no longer around. It means that no one watched it other than the critics who were required and critics who actually found themselves giving it a positive review. That's how you end up being critically acclaimed or known for being critically acclaimed. The Lakers, Celtics, Nuggets, Kings, Wizards, and Brooklyn Nets were the teams that I know took part. I believe the Lakers were the first, and the Nets in their first year in Brooklyn were the last. Don't quote me on that, though. Just go check YouTube. There was also the series Real Training Camp that started right around the time the association went away. And in similar concept behind-the-scenes look at a particular NBA team in training camp. One episode even featured, check my notes here, yep, the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James when they had Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. So it wasn't all that long ago. Huh. There was also just a Team USA real training camp episode that was basically produced the exact same way. Now, I'm guessing the visibility of those shows wasn't quite the same as Hard Knocks because they were on, and as far as I know, produced by NBA TV. As someone who covers the NBA, I have a hard time watching NBA TV because you're never going to get the real. I know most of the hosts and analysts, and some I consider friends, but man, the next hard-hitting or revealing thing any of them says on NBA TV will be the first. It's painfully vanilla. NBA TV production-wise is not exactly the same as having HBO giving you all the cinematic drama and expertise that it knows how to utilize either. But the biggest reason I believe the NBA doesn't have a hard knocks 
is because the knocks in the NBA just aren't as hard. If a free agent on a non-guaranteed contract makes the roster in training camp in the NBA, it's major news because it so rarely happens. Which means there is not training camp drama as far as who is going to make the team. Or, in most cases, who is going to play and who isn't. There is no Turk or Grim Reaper coming to knock on your hotel or dormitory door to tell you the head coach wants to see you and to bring your playbook the way there is in the NFL. That is always a gut-wrenching scene because it means that dudes, that dude's lifelong dream of playing professional football the dream he's dedicated the first whatever years of his life to achieving might be over. There are no other leagues overseas to join, no G League to possibly slide down to. Watching someone go from potentially making six or seven figures and being a name, household name, to operating a leaf blower or driving a forklift in one fell swoop will never not be riveting. There's the added twist that sometimes, maybe often, the player being cut is not an unknown, but a big name with a big contract in the NFL because the team wants to stop paying him, and in the NFL, they can. Now, I said I would try not to make this about LeBron, and I'd like to think I've done a pretty damn good job of it. Before I wrap up, though, there are a couple of thoughts that came to mind because it was LeBron who asked the question. First of all, this particular hard knocks on the Dallas Cowboys was pretty soft and, for me, only mildly entertaining. It felt far too much at times like an infomercial for Jerry Jones. After watching it, I'd be thinking more along the lines of that concept might have run its course, not... Why aren't more leagues doing it? Second, one of LeBron's favorite fallback lines when asked a tough question is, that's a family matter, or we'll keep that within the team. Now he's wondering why the league isn't doing a show to expose what goes on with the team and the players' families? Hmm. Third, it's easy for LeBron to want the league to be covered hard knock style because even if it was his team, that was covered, the chances of him being embarrassed, as one NBA official said to me, is exactly zero. He's not going to get cut, and he's not going to be chastised by a coach in practice or in a film session. But there would be players who would run the risk of having all that exposed to the world. So chances are, there's probably more players who would be happy to take a pass on a hard knocks not LeBron. And finally, if he really was curious about why there hadn't been a hard knocks, couldn't he have just dialed up or texted Adam Silver or pretty much anyone in the league? I mean, if I can do it, I'm pretty sure LeBron could have got them in the time it took him to compose that tweet. Maybe though, he was actually putting that out there as an informal survey. He wanted to find out how many people would respond and agree to see if there was a market for such a show. 
And since he does have a production company, maybe he was thinking, that could be my next project. There are only two problems with that. Basing popularity or genuine sentiment about anything because of the Twitter response is a very precarious leap. That's one. Second, less than 27,000 people liked his tweet. That's about half the number that liked his tweet congratulating former teammate J.R. Smith for going back to college to play golf. Now, following J.R. Smith around a college campus? That I might watch if it was unscripted. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please, please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As I said, next week we will be completing the next era, the final era of our top 75 over 75 years. Also need to get to exactly what the Brooklyn Nets have done by adding all these pieces. Give you a little hint. I feel different about them. And you guys probably know how I felt about them before. But we'll get to that. All of it. Next week. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. I'm Louise Makshari of Catch Up with Louise Makshari. I could not be more thrilled to be telling you about the return of The White Lotus. It's streaming now with a Now Entertainment membership. I loved everything about the first series of the show, from the cast to the music. And it is just the perfect blend of mystery, comedy and drama. In, in my opinion, the finale of the last series was nothing short of a masterpiece. And now in season two, they're bringing us to Italy. Jennifer Coolidge is back and thank God for that. And this time she's joined by a new cast of characters. If you missed season one, I can't encourage you enough to catch up. You won't regret it. It's streaming now with a Now Entertainment membership. And you can stream the new season of the Emmy Award winning The White Lotus weekly on Now.